You're listening to Liberty Buzzard with Dustin Hammett and Thomas Umstead Jr. Episode 46. I'm Dustin Hammett. I'm Thomas Umstead Jr. Welcome to Liberty Buzzard, the podcast for inquisitive minds. And today we're going to talk about immigration and birthright citizenship and talk a little bit of civics and talk about the Constitution. So for those of you who don't know, Donald Trump has decided to sign an executive order uh, getting rid of birthright citizenship. So for those of you who don't know, birthright citizenship is where if you are born in the territory of the United States, you become a citizen of the United States automatically. There's not a two-tiered system or a three-tiered system like what they had in Rome, where you had patricians, you had plebs, you had uncitizens, and then you had slaves. We don't have that in the United States. We have citizens, and then we have visitors and that's our legal system donald trump doesn't like that idea so he's wanting to sign an executive order getting rid of it dustin your thoughts so um this is a tough one um is this a topic mainly about you know migration or migration immigration um and you know the phrase anchor babies which is when immigrants come here specifically to have their child now their child's an american citizen and um yeah, and all the all the thorny issues that come with that. Uh, I don't know if we really want to go down that route right now. I think what we really want to do is discuss the constitutionality of what the president is trying to do. So basically, there is, I believe, uh, that I read this morning, 60, that's six zero years of precedent, where um, regardless of who your parents are, if you're born on American soil you are by right an American citizen. And this comes from the 14th Amendment. And Thomas, if you want to pull up the, uh, while, I'm, while I'm bumping my gums here. Yeah, I, ha- I have it. I have it right here. Do you have it? Go ahead and go ahead and read it for us. So for those, just some real quick context, there's the constitution and then there are like bug patches that the constitution has gotten from time to time. And those are called amendments. So the first 10 patches or first 10 amendments happened in the very, um, first you know year it's called the bill of rights but there are additional amendments the 14th amendment is kind of long that says all persons born or naturalized in the united states and subject to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens of the united states and of the state wherein they reside no state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States, nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law or deny any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of the laws. So you may be like, well, why is this amendment in the Constitution? And the answer is because we just fought a civil war over this very topic. So while uh, Abraham Lincoln during the Civil War passed the Emancipation Proclamation freeing Uh, the enslaved people in the South. However, as an executive order, he didn't have the authority to free the enslaved people in the North because presidents can't make laws. They can only uh, interpret or enforce the laws. But the South was no longer part of the United States. They were conquered territory. So he said, any slaves we come across in the South are automatically freed. And a lot of people think that that is what freed the slaves. And while it did free some slaves, what really freed or what ended slavery categorically in the United States was the 14th Amendment, which means everyone born in the United States, regardless of who their parents are, are free citizens of the United States. And that is what Trump is wanting to get away, uh, get rid of. Uh, that said, I don't think he has the power to do it. What do you think, Dustin? 
Here's the problem with American uh, politics and trying to change things in American politics. We're, we're a common law nation, which means we very, very heavily weight precedent. Precedent is hugely important. So if something has been some way for a long time, in this case, 60 years, and I'm not educated on how it was before that, but if something has been that way for a long time, to try to change that, uh, well, it takes a literal act of Congress. Um, because, and I guess the argument that the president and his staff are trying to make is that the wording is unclear in the 14th amendment. And, you know, it actually meant this. And, uh, I think they're, they're, they're going to make this executive order and then they're going to fully expecting it to take it to court and make an argument. Uh, I think they'll probably lose based on precedent because the Supreme court, even the conservative ones are huge on precedent and, you know, originalist, even the most conservative ones are very originalist in their interpretations and they're very literalist a lot of times, which means they're going to use it uh, in a very literal way. So the 14th Amendment, where'd it go? I mean, all persons born or naturalized in the United States and subject to the judge. Yeah, I mean, born or naturalized in the United States, it's, it's pretty explicit there. So... Can he do it? Uh, he can. He can try, uh, and I think he will. Um, is he expecting to be successful? You know, I think our president likes to just shake things up and throw hail marys, and if it's not successful, he doesn't really care. That's kind of his business philosophy as well. I'm going to try this out, and if it fails, oh well, uh, I'll go on and try something else out. And maybe he's doing it just to try to press the issue. And it plays well to his base. So his base, his base of voters, his core base, really sees immigration as a bad thing. They see these people coming over uh, and uh, joining the workforce here, not as something that saves us from the fact that we've, you know, aborted 50 million people and have this huge hole in our economy. They see it as destruction of the United States, and these immigrants who are coming over here to work jobs are are destroying our culture, and we have to do something. Otherwise, America, you know, will cease to exist because America can't handle massive numbers of immigrants. Our culture is so weak and so anemic that when other people with a different culture come here, they change our culture to be their culture instead of the other way around, which I think is just wrong and and demonstrably wrong. It was wrong 50 years ago uh, when we were saying it uh, or 80 years ago when we were saying it to keep the Jews from coming over who were being you know killed in Germany. It was wrong. In 1890s, when the Italians were wanting to come over, it was wrong in the 1850s when the Germans were wanting to come over. It was wrong in the 1840s when people from China were coming over to build railroads. Don't forget the Irish, Thomas. Oh, and don't even get me started on those dirty Catholic Irish coming over. They're going to ruin our culture. The reality is that American culture is stronger than those other cultures. And and those other cultures in those other countries are adopting American techniques. They sing like Americans. They dress like Americans. When you go... To Italy, when you go to Mexico, you see people in blue jeans, like Americans. You hear them listening to Taylor Swift and American music. Our culture is the superior culture. If you are afraid that immigrants are going to ruin our culture, you have nothing to fear because we have a great culture. We have problems with the culture, but it's very infectious and, and very contagious and spreads from person to person. And the reason why is because when there is something good about another culture, we steal it. 
without apology, <laughs> we appropriate every culture we can get our hands on into the great melting pot that is the United States. Um, but all of that said, people are very afraid and, and they have that fear. And my speech isn't going to make that fear go away because fear is this kind of primal urge that people have. And the fact that D Donald Trump is doing something about it makes them feel less afraid. And the fact that he's not going to succeed and that the president doesn't have the power to change the Constitution on his own doesn't matter. It's the fact that he's trying, I think, is the whole... This is all just theater to try to get people to feel safer, uh, which makes them feel safer. Yes. You know, the great thing about the president, and I will say it is a great thing, a lot of people hate it because he is so outside the box. He is outside the establishment. But one of the things that I do admire about him is his ability to challenge the status quo no matter what. Interesting op-ed in the Wall Street Journal this morning about why the liberal elite hate the president, hate Donald Trump. And it's because of his representation of the average American, his bombastic, I guess, caricature of the average American, especially the average red, red state American. They're called red-blooded Americans, Dustin, not red-state Americans. There's red, there's red-blooded Americans and blue-blooded Americans. He's willing, <laughs> he's he's willing to challenge the status quo, and that that's something to be admired about him. And um, what, regardless of how it ends up, I think his his ability, his desire to push forward, you know, his about he he wants to challenge the status quo. I'm having a hard time articulating it, but that that's that's what it is, and I think it's a good thing. Yeah, I I just my concern is that the right and Republicans specifically historically have been champions of the Constitution, right? I I remember as a kid going to Republican activities and Republican events, and they have these little pocket constitutions, and we pass them out like gospel tracts. It was like, please read this religious manifesto on our position. And as I've gotten older and as the party has gotten over older, Republicans have are, it seems, are losing their love affair with the Constitution. You don't see constitutions handed out at political events as much. Um, you know, once Ron Paul started doing it, I guess other Republicans um, got, you know, oh, I don't want to do that because that's what Ron Paul's doing. Because Ron Paul, Rand Paul, they totally still hand out constitutions at their events. But it's like, why would we print this when suddenly... Uh, Republicans are starting to see the Constitution as an obstacle. They're seeing it as something that's getting in the way of what they're wanting to do. If it wasn't for the 14th Amendment, Donald Trump would have a lot more power to get rid of birthright citizenship. But you said it was an act of Congress to get rid of the 14th Amendment. It's actually more than that. Congress has to buy two-thirds vote, so it's harder than normal. And then you're like, okay, two-thirds in both House, you change the Constitution. No. Then it has to go to the states and four fifths of each of the states have to vote to amend the Constitution. It is really hard. We have to pretty much agree uh, as a country that this is a good idea to make a change to the Constitution. And I don't think there's that consensus uh, right now. What do you think of the 14th Amendment and its literalist interpretation, all persons born or naturalized in the United States? I mean, what, what do you think about that policy? Do you, do you have an opinion there? So, yeah, so this is a good question. Is is it a good uh, thing that the Constitution says? Like, sure, the Constitution says it, but is it right? And I actually agree that it's a good idea. And the reason I agree is because of Roman history. So if you look at Roman history of both the Republic and the Empire, half of their civil wars were because they had massive chunks of people who were not citizens and really should have been. 
So in the, uh, I think it was around 100 BC, back in the Republic, in the heyday of the Republic, you had what were called the Latin allies. These were cities that were near Rome. And they were a part of the Roman Empire. They fought alongside Roman troops. Every time Rome went to war, these Latin allies went to war with Rome. They spoke the same language. They had the same culture. They worshipped the same gods. And these Latin allies were not considered citizens. And finally, there was this massive war that all it did at the end... Oh, and this is what was great. Both factions, both um, the populares and um, the patricians, uh, saw bringing Latin allies and giving them citizenship as being a good thing. But they didn't want the other one to do it because whichever faction actually passed the bill would get the Latin allies voting for them. And that was so scary. Neither side would let the other side do it. And so for 100 years, because this was an issue for like 100 plus years, all of these non-citizen citizens hanging out around the area that finally they fought this terrible civil war that was like every city against every other city and hundreds of thousands of people died unnecessarily. And and the historians are like, yeah, it was Romans killing Romans. And you're like, okay, so Rome learned their lesson, right? And they they opened up the citizenship roles. No, no, they did not. So every hundred years or so, they fought a civil war over all of these people living around them that weren't citizens uh, would go to war with them. And that just doesn't work. And, and our founding fathers studied Rome and there's a reason we vote in Latin. And they're like, let's not make that mistake. Let's make it um, where if you're here, you're a citizen. So we don't have that incentive for people who are here but aren't citizens to go to war to get their citizenship. When, as John F. Kennedy said, when uh, peaceful revolution becomes inevitable or uh, is impossible, violent revolution becomes inevitable. And people want their franchise and they're willing to fight and kill and die to get it. So as you've been speaking, I've been looking up, you know, there's this idea of anchor babies, which, you know, a lot of people find offensive because, you know, you just come over here, you come over here illegally, uh, you have a child, all of a sudden it's, uh, it's, it's almost a free ticket to stay just by virtue of having had a child over here in the nation, which of course makes me wonder, what are the statistics here? Uh, and this is Breitbart. So this is the first thing that popped up. I don't know how accurate this is, but we're just going to go with it because the first thing I saw, there are at least 4.5 million anchor babies in the U S under the age of 18 years old. According to the CBO, this estimate does not include the potentially millions of anchor babies who are older than 18 years old, nor does it include the anchor babies who are living overseas with their deported foreign parents. So uh, 4.5 million. What's our population in the United States, Thomas? Do you have know off the top of your head? It's, uh, what is it? It's about 320 million. Yeah, so 320 million. Some of, some, some of you math people do that statistic in your head. Is it making a drastic, huge, alterating thing in the uh, American electorate? I don't know. Uh, especially as you distribute these children throughout the years and throughout the states and throughout locations. Um, I don't know. That's less than 1%. It's less than one half of 1%. Less than one half of 1%. It's a million people and we had 100 million population. That would be 1%. But we don't have 100 million. We don't have 200 million. We don't have 300 million. We have 320 million. This is a very small piece of what's overall going on. So is it, I guess it's just the principle of the thing then. Right. I mean, you already mentioned it. It's uh, in an election year. Are we just uh, throwing some throwing something out there to, to uh, fire up our base? Maybe we are. I don't know. And this this whole caravan issue is so 
the timing of it is so perfect for it to make uh, immigration an election issue. Because the truth of the matter is that most people don't care about immigration very often. Like, it doesn't really affect your life. The fact that somewhere in the country, somebody is working a job and they weren't born here. It's like, do you care? You know, the fact that you're in a business and, you know, let's say the cook who's making your food is was not a citizen. Does that matter? Like, does that affect the quality of the food, the taste of your food? If you find out, do you go to a different restaurant? Like, how often does this actually affect your day to day life as opposed to other issues that have a much bigger impact, like how much you pay in taxes? and uh, whether you can drink the water. And so I, I can hear some people saying, oh, well, immigrants don't pay taxes. They don't. Which taxes exactly do they not pay? Do they pay property taxes? Yeah, if they live here, they pay rent. That rent it goes to the landlord who pays the property taxes. Uh, do they pay sales taxes? Yes, they pay sales taxes. Do they pay uh, social security taxes? Yes, often they make up a uh, social security number and randomly deposit money into somebody else's social security account where they pay the social security taxes without getting the social security benefits. Uh, so from a state level, uh, there's almost no tax I can think of in Texas that immigrants don't pay. Uh, in fact, they often pay it without getting all of the benefits from it. And so there's this, this idea of like, oh, well, you know, they're getting, you know, welfare or these other things maybe they're getting some, they're also paying for it. And those are often problems with the welfare system, not actually a problem with immigration. A lot of people blame our welfare, the problems of our welfare system on these immigrants, when really we need to just fix the welfare system and, and make it more fair and make it more rational. So I just am not threatened by immigrants. I see these as good conservative Christian Catholic people coming over here who want to work hard. <laughs> and uh, I, I don't see that as a problem. And, and you know, we need more hardworking people. And uh, businesses are more likely to be started by immigrants and children of immigrants. The longer your family has been here, the less entrepreneurial you are and the more entitled you become. And in many ways, the, the worse of an American you become. <laughs> There's this idea that the new people are the bad Americans and the people who have been here for a long time are the good Americans. When in, from my perspective, it's just the opposite. That pioneer spirit is most vibrant. It's most alive in the people who are here most recently. I think hating on immigrants. <laughs> yeah, right. I think hating on immigrants is just an American tradition. I mean, you've seen the, the movie Gangs of New York. Now, that's 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 based on reality. It's a, It's fiction. Yeah, but. It's based on reality. The people who are in a spot when they feel overwhelmed, when they feel like their jobs, they feel in competition with people who are coming over. Naturally, they're going to uh, they're going to direct their hate at the people who they're competing with. That's just the nature of competition. And whether it's Irish, whether it's Germans, whether it's Chinese, there's there's always been that uh, that that problem in in American in, in, in the American culture. So I'm not surprised. Uh, interesting thing about immigration and the the, the, the the cutting off of the spigot of immigration here in Texas in the construction industry. Let me tell you, labor in the construction industry has been incredibly hard to find, which increases the cost of labor, which increases the cost of housing. And everybody knows right now, especially in Austin, Texas, the cost of housing is through the roof. Is, is it just because of labor? No, but it's a big contributing factor because anybody who has broken down the cost of a house, you know that labor, not materials, labor is the biggest cost uh, in, in, in actually constructing a house in most cases. So, so yeah, I mean, whether it's building our streets or building our houses or just building, it's absolutely incredible how much 
basic labor immigrants fulfill. And when you cut that off, things are going to get starting start getting real expensive real fast. So I want to talk in purely economic terms, which are it's likely going to offend everyone I haven't offended yet. But ch- from an economic perspective and from a national perspective, children are useless. In fact, they're worth worse than useless. They're super expensive. So for 18 years, society invests massive amounts of money. We're talking like hundreds of thousands of dollars per child in education, in healthcare, in time of the parents, like economically generating a citizen is incredibly expensive. Doesn't mean it's not important. I have a baby. Children are great, but they are not like financial. Thomas, are you are, are you mad at your baby right now? <laughs> I am totally getting at least three hours of sleep every night. And it's having no impact on my uh, judgment making, whatever, whatsoever. So it's, it's not like in the olden days when you have a farm and it's like, man, have as many babies as you possibly can. Children are like free labor. You know, you have the milk, the cows and whatnot. It's not how it is nowadays. With immigration, oh, so then once somebody becomes 18 and they start working, especially as they get into their 20s and they start working, they start contributing and they are like the basis of civilization. They're the basis of society. And they're paying taxes. They're doing work. Like the the work that's getting them paid is doing good. Like they are what are making civilization work and, and run. And then starting around 65 or so, they start drawing on civilization, start being a kind of a leech on society again in the sense that they're not contributing like they were. Uh, So you have this kind of peak time of production. So when somebody comes over here as a 20-something immigrant, we get all of the benefit of their whole 40 years of working in society without having to pay any of the cost of creating them. (laughs) So we don't have to pay to educate them. We don't have to pay to feed them. All of those costs are externalized. So Mexico gets to pay to educate them and feed them and and healthcare and all of that. And we get the benefit of all of the labor and all of the taxes. Like, why is Mexico not like horrendously offended that they're losing all of these really hardworking people that are coming over to the United States? And so from an economic perspective, we want those people here and we want them here working. And there's a Um, perception that I think is based purely on racism, because I've not seen anyone give any evidence to this. I've seen tons of evidence to the contrary that immigrants come over here to not work. And they're just here to like sit around and be lazy and not have jobs. And that has never been the case. And it's not the case now. Immigrants are the hardest working, most law abiding group of people uh, that you can find. Well, not the most law abiding. Uh, Concealed carry holders are the most law abiding. (laughs) But just underneath them, uh, a few notches, you have immigrants uh, who are terrified to break the law because the punishments are so strict. Thanks for that post about uh, concealed carry holders. I think that's a very important point to make, Thomas. (laughs) But yes, I agree with you. And that experience bears out a lot in my in, in my experience as a police officer. Now, I will say that there are some cultural issues being a police officer with immigrants coming over, but by and large, and you know, um, that's it's prey to confirmation bias. You look for the examples of you know where an immigrant did wrong, where I can easily find just as many, exa- if not more, examples of where uh, a resident or a citizen did something wrong as a police officer. So, but I think by and large, they are scared to death um, of of getting deported and. Um, so yeah, I, yeah, you hit the nail on the head there. So anyway, we want to know uh, what you think. Uh, immigration, good idea, bad idea. I know a lot of people uh, make a big noise about, um, oh, well, you have to respect the laws and follow the process. Uh, but the reality is, is that when laws are broken, 
or laws don't apply, you don't follow the laws. So it's like, when have you speeded, you know, when it's inconvenient or you feel like it shouldn't apply to you? Speeded or sped? You've gone over the speed limit. <laughs> Hold on. We got to have to check that one on Grammarly. Okay, sorry. Maybe next time. <laughs> so somebody, somebody's good grammar me. Uh, the, the reality is, is that um, I don't find that that argument convincing. And it, when I hear that argument from somebody, I see it as mostly just racism. I was like, yeah, you know, if you perfectly follow the laws, throw the first stone. But in my experience, people break laws, especially minor infraction type laws all the time. Right. They shoot off fireworks at Fourth of July and other things that are like minor ticket offenses. And um, and especially if you even were to know all of the laws, like your house is probably violating half a dozen laws, you know, just with the stuff that you've done on the inside. Shh, Thomas, be quiet now. So I, I just don't find that argument convincing. And somebody wants to come on the show and make that argument. And, and let me cross-examine them, I would love to hear it. <laughs> because I, I want to understand that argument better of like, you know, oh, respect for the law. These people don't have respect for the law. It's like, just because you disrespect one law doesn't mean it means you disrespect all the other laws. We have a fine tradition of respecting laws we don't agree with, right? The Underground Railroad, you had all these Quakers who were like, yeah, that fugitive slave bill, we don't think that that's a good law, so we're going to ignore it. Uh, oh, that law about, you know, segregated counters at, you know, uh, restaurants, we don't think that's a good law, so we're going to ignore it. And, oh, that law that we have to pay taxes to England, we don't think that's a good law, so we're going to ignore it. Doesn't mean that they don't respect the, the rule of law as a general principle or that they disrespect all the other laws, just the stupid ones. <laughs> so, anyway, uh, that that's my opinion. I'd love to hear what you think. Feel free to leave a comment down below. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, on YouTube, and at libertybuzzard.com. Dustin, any final thoughts? I got nothing, Thomas. I think you said it great. All right. We'll see you again on Thursday. This episode of Liberty Buzzard is brought to you by Tom Umstadt's CPA. Tom has over 35 years of experience helping people like you pay only their fair share in taxes. Don't let the IRS stress you out. Get Tom and his team on your team at TaxmanTom.com.